Today's sermon is entitled, The Strength of Joy. The strength of joy will have you dancing in the rain. The strength of joy will have you dancing in the rain. Did you know that joy has strength? And if you're going to be a person of action, you need strength to act. All right? So let's talk about how strong is joy. Not you, Joy, but I'm talking about I'm talking about J-O-Y. How strong is joy? Do you know how strong joy is? And I would think that if we did know how strong joy was, more of us would have more joy. It's strong enough, listen to me, joy is strong enough to make people sing and dance in the rain. It is strong enough. Joy can push people to dance in the rain. And rain implies sadness, dreariness, uh, morbidity perhaps. But where joy is, it can strengthen you enough to give you life in the rain. Joy has made people laugh during their saddest experiences. The question is, how strong is joy? And what I'm trying to get you to see is that paralleled with the rain, there can be dancing. Paralleled with the sadness of what you're experiencing, there can be laughter. Joy can lift someone from a deathbed when they simply believe in the power of better. The Bible says that a merry spirit doth a body, a heart, good. In other words, the sadder you are, the more inclined your body is not to respond. But when you can add joy on your deathbed, your body perks up. It experiences strength that you didn't know you had. Have you ever been cruising along and all was well, and suddenly something happens that takes your joy and contentment away? Has something ever hit you so hard that you couldn't or didn't even want to get out of bed. I'm going to pause right there. There might be some hands raised because you know what it's like to be dealing with something that took your joy so much you don't even want to get out of bed. Nothing is hurting. Your knee's not broken. Your toe's not broken. Your back's not hurting. Your whole reason for remaining in bed is that you can't muster up enough strength inside of you to get yourself out of bed. I'm preaching to somebody already. Even when you're sick, the doctors will say rest 
until your body recoups its strength. Then get up and go back to work because the doctor understands that you can't work without being strong enough to do it. The question is, how strong is joy? If the enemy finds out that he can continuously lay you out by hitting you in the same place time after time, he will basically keep you in bed indefinitely. If the enemy knows just how to steal your joy, if he tricks you time after time, if he knows how to disable you and to disarm you, he will continually do it to keep you in bed, in the metaphor of being in bed indefinitely. And what I've learned is that all of our problems aren't because of our sins, we could be going through something because of someone else's sins. The Christian life is not for weaklings. I will say that again. The Christian life is not for weaklings. Let me talk to you over here. The Christian life is not for weaklings. Tap your neighbor and tell them you better get strong. Or if you're from the South, you better get strong. <laughs> to be a Christian, you will need strength. We need strength because we have been put here to do a job. On last week, we talked about having a body so we could do the will of God. If you've been called to do a work for God, then you will need strength to do it. Somebody say, I need strength. You have to have strength because you're put here to do an action for God. And we can't do that job if we're always laid up in bed because something or someone has let our air out again. Today, I want to teach you how to tap into that strength and how to maintain that strength so that your out of bed time whoo, far exceeds your in the bed time and you are getting more work done for the kingdom than sitting at home depressed all the time. If you can say amen, say amen. Our anecdotal scripture today is Nehemiah 8 and 10. I learned it from a song many years ago, and the text says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. Ah, that's what we're talking about today, right? The strength of joy. The joy of the Lord. Say that with me. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But I'm sure you haven't heard it taught this way. I've got a little twist on it. Uh, so in this passage, the children of Israel were returning from exile. They had simply come back. Nehemiah was the one who built the wall, who stood on charge, who had the people rebuilding the temple, getting themselves together, building the wall, returning back from exile, trying to rebuild the place. So this was a high, high festive time. It was a time of return, and we're going to be excited because God has brought us back 
to our land. He's given us a place to be able to be in, and we're excited about it. So let's take a look then at Nehemiah chapter 8. I want to read the verses 1 through 12, and I want to be able to give you this scenario or this idea of being able to understand what is happening here. The Israelites had experienced tumult. They had been uh, bruised. They had been taken advantage of. And Nehemiah was sad and said, man, my people are hurting. I need to go back and I need to make sure that they're doing good. All right. So let's let's walk through this. Nehemiah 8 verses 1 through 12. Let's take a look at the verse. The text says this. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. So in essence, all the people gathered together. They said, hey, let's have a festival. Let's come together. Let's meet at the gate. Ezra, they told Ezra, bring the Bible. They said, Ezra, bring the Bible. We want to hear preaching. Now, you know they's happy, all right? Verse two, and Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate. Listen, he read from the morning until midday. All y'all who can't be in church longer than 30 minutes, y'all got it good. The text says he read from morning until midday. Three hours they were teaching. I'll show you later. Before the men and women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. So remember, I told you that they started off with the intellectual response. He was giving them the word first. That's why we're teaching scripture first. Verse four, and Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood. Uh Oh, now here we go. We got, that's why we have pulpits in churches and the pulpit is usually slightly elevated above the congregation. Here's why. Verse four, and Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Metahiah and Shema and Aniah and Urijah and Hilkiah and Messiah and on his right on his right hand and on his left hand, Padiah and Mishael and Micaiah and Hashum and Hashbadana and Zechariah and Meshulam. Now, again, in the pulpit, we would have preachers to our left, preachers to our right. So this is the priesthood. They're all lined up. He's got people with him. Verse five, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. The pulpit slightly elevated. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Standing up for the word. Remember that? That's what we stand up for. And verse six, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, with lifting up of their hands. This is church, y'all. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So look at verses one through five is where they got the intellectual response. But here in verse six, we're getting an emotional response. They are responding with the bowing of their hands and the worshiping of the Lord. Verse 7, And Joshua and Benai and Sherebiah and Jamin and Akub and Shabbatiah, 
Hodijah, Messiah, Kalida, Ezariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So here the deacons, the teachers, the Levites, which were the priests, the ministerial staff, said they caused the people to understand the law. In other words, they taught them. They made sure they got it. That's why I keep asking, are you tracking? I want to make sure you got it, all right? Verse number eight. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense. In other words, gave the sense, gave the meaning, gave the interpretation and caused them to understand the reading. So it seems to imply in, in, in some aspect that not only did Ezra preach the word or read the word, but they also taught the word. So there has to be a teaching to make sure there's an understanding. Ah, God, I love it. So verse nine, and Nehemiah, which is the Tirshata, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, this day is holy unto the Lord your God, mourn not nor weep. Got to say that again, mourn not nor weep for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Wait a minute, they were just praising and worshiping, but now they have the weeping because they're understanding the word. But here's verse 10. Then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, go to Doolin's. No, never mind. Sorry. Go your way. <laughs> Eat the fat. Drink the sweet tea. No, drink the sweet. And send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. In other words, give some to others who don't have. Why? For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither, here it is again, he mentions it again, neither be ye sorry. Watch this. Why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't be sad. Don't be mad. Go eat. Go have fun. Verse 11. So the Levites stilled all the people saying, hold your peace. Hold on. Don't be crying. For the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. He's pleading with the people. Don't be grieved. Why? Because he understands that there's strength and joy. You can't, you can't be melancholy. You can't be sad and depressed. There's strength ah, and joy. And the final verse says, And all the people went their way to eat. And to drink. They took my advice and went to Chili's. No. And to send portions. And to make great mirth. Because. Why? Because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. So now let's analyze what caused this morning when they should have been rejoicing. Here I want to bring to you that sin oftentimes is the catalyst or the impetus that creates this juncture of melancholiness or sadness 
it creates conflict in our lives. Watch this now. Here, when we look at sin, Israel was back home now, and everything should have been good, only to realize it wasn't. Everything should have been hunky-dory, but they were crying instead. They were in such a good place. Look at look at where they are. They were in such a good place. They asked Ezra, Ezra, when we meet this morning, bring the word. Make sure you bring the word. Bring the choir. Bring the deacons. We want Jesus. We want church. Do you see? I mean, we're looking at, they were looking at this situation as this is a high time. And they were gathering so they could hear it. And when is the last time you asked somebody to bring the Bible to teach them? Come over and bring your Bible. <laughs> Not, you'd be like, bring the drinks. Yeah, that's more like it. They were hungry for the word. But we read in the story that after Ezra read the word, the people were weeping and grieving because of the realization of the sins that were surrounding them and that things really weren't as cool as they thought. Ah. That's why I love the word because the word will point out your flaws. <laughs> and no matter how good you feel, and the reality is the word will expose you. <laughs> and whenever I feel haughty or high minded, I just go read the word because the word will bring you down a few notches. They were clearly, watch this now, this is what I want you to get. They were clearly now conflicted at a time they should have been celebrating their return home. When they heard the word, they got conflicted. Have you ever been sad when you should be glad? That's called a conflict. Most times we are quick to blame ourselves or others. In other words, when something steals our joy, we can you believe the devil? Can you believe that person? Can you we're pointing the finger at other people? We're often talking about the sins of others and what they did to us. I can't believe she hurt me. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe they did that to me. But I came to tell you today. Oh, here's the twist. Plot twist number one. What caused this conflict is not the sin necessarily. What is it then? Was it Ezra? Was it the fact that they were back home? Well, let's look at the verses and let it tell you on its own. The text said in verse 9, look at the highlighted part. It said, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. So what was it that caused the weeping? The weeping was caused by hearing the words of the law. So here's what I want you to understand. Point number one, the word of God created the conflict. Ah, love it. Huh? Here's what I want you to understand, beloved, that when you find yourself troubled, watch this, this is going to be good teaching, Latanya. When you find yourself in trouble and you're in conflict, when you should have joy, when something has come and stripped you of what you should be celebrating, listen, it is not 
the sin. It is not the thing itself that is creating the conflict. It is the word in you that is creating the discomfort. Come on, somebody say teach PC. It wasn't until after Ezra read the word did the people begin to weep and mourn and to grieve. Why do you think people cry at the altar? Why do you think people break down? Oh, 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 oh God, oh, stay me, God, help me. Because it is the word that creates conflict. When you hear the better remedy, listen, you came to church thinking you were living fine. Even your salty, failing life, you were okay with it. But after you hear the word, you realize that you ain't living so good. It is not the sins that you do that make you feel bad. It is the culture, the nature, and the sense of the word of God that makes you feel uncomfortable. I'm coming down your street. The thing that is making you so emotional is not the problem, but your conflict with the word. So watch this now. Somebody stole your joy. You upset. You're angry and you're frustrated. The thing that has your emotions topsy-turvy is because you can tell that the word of God God in you doesn't like what happened. It is not the thing that happened to you that stirs your emotion. It is the conflict that thing is having with your word. Your emotions, watch this now, your emotions, I'm going to teach you this, Lisa, your emotions shouldn't be out of control because of sin. Why? Because sin has no authority over you. Listen to me carefully. The thing that gets your emotions going is the thing that has authority over you. Ah, Watch this now. You let Jim tick you off. When you let her set you off, you have given them authority. And so what Ezra is saying, don't let the, don't let the sin that you feel guilty about get your emotions riled up. That shouldn't have authority over you. But what you should have authority, give, what you should give authority is the word of God. In other words, your emotions react to the authority of the word. The word says you live in foul, boo. The word says you're not in alignment. The word says you're out of balance. Don't give people that kind of power. You're disturbed because what's in the, listen, I got to say it this way, Lolo. You're disturbed because what's in the Bible doesn't match your reality. Sometimes when things happen to me, I'm ticked off. I'm frustrated because I can't believe that somebody actually did that. Somebody who's supposed to be my friend actually hurt me. But really what I'm disturbed about is that my reality of uh, uh, or, or my biblical teaching about forgiveness and love and unity doesn't match with the Judas of my life, the backstabbing hater who is contradicting my walk in God. Come on, somebody, are you understanding? So in the conflict, watch this, the conflict has created emotions. Uh, what I'm trying to get you to see is that we read the word first and the word creates conflict which impacts your emotions and then you've got to decide what is your emotions what are your emotions responding to to the problem or to the word i got to do it again right back 
We have the word and the word then creates conflict in us. The conflict then stirs our emotions. Our emotional response should be to the word because it is the word that has authority over us, not the problem we're experiencing. Ah, come on, somebody. Whatever impact, let me tell you over here, whatever impacts your emotions has authority. I must say that again. Whatever impacts your emotions has authority. So do you see your problems? Do you see your sin as your authority or do you see the Bible? In other words, this is one tool the enemy uses to steal your joy. He keeps you frustrated about the thing, about the sin, about the problem. He keeps you focusing on the sinful nature of it. When you should understand it is not, sin is not my problem for God has given me authority over sin. And even if I do sin, I can confess my sin. He will forgive me of my sin and cleanse me for all unrighteousness. So there is no judgment or taboo for walking around feeling guilty for six years and making penance for what you did wrong. Jesus went to the cross for that. So sin doesn't have the authority. But what I should be emotional about is the word of God creates conflict that the word is showing me that I'm wrong. The word is telling me you gotta do better. The word is telling me there's something deeper inside of you, PC, that God wants to bring out and you are not living it. The word creates the conflict that stirs the emotion. Our emotions were created for God. Give him your emotions, not your circumstances. Let me explain this to you. As we enter into Valentine's Day and this type of season of love, your emotions are supposed to be for your boo. When you talk about responding passionately to the one you love, that's who you give your emotion. Let me tell you this. Don't give your emotions to all those people who pissed you off all day, cussed everybody else out, and you have nothing to give to your spouse or your partner when you get home. You have allowed your emotions to be trafficked. You have allowed your emotions to be stolen, to be abused and misused by people who could care less about you. They have no investment in your future and you come home emotionally drained and taxed because you allowed your emotions to be manipulated. That's the word I was looking for by people who mean you no good. When you don't understand things, write this down, you cry. When you don't understand things, you cry. But when you understand them, you have joy. Ah, that's all I'm trying to tell you. The emotional response is an emotional response, but it can be one or the other. It can be crying or it can be joy, but both have an element of emotion. So when you don't understand, and something, you are more inclined to be sad because you don't understand it. And that's what the enemy's strategy is. He's the master of deception. And deception means that he doesn't give you the full story so you can understand it. Watch a liar. A liar won't tell you everything because they like to keep you befuddled in an element of deception. But God says, I'm going to give you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. 
truth because I am the truth. He says, I want you to understand. And why does he want us to understand? Because understanding brings joy. And that's why Ezra was so adamant about making sure they understood the text. Are you getting this? Oh my God, I know you've never heard Nehemiah 8 taught like this. He is so adamant. Make sure they understand the word because you cannot have the strength of joy if you don't understand why you're joyful. Oh, come on. The more they listened to Ezra bring the word, the more conflict it created because they didn't understand. Oh, every time I read the word, oh, it got me right there. But as Ezra spent hours in the day teaching them, the more they were able to understand and change their sorrow to joy. The fact, listen to me, as I transition to my next point, the fact that you're in conflict by these standards, I'm going to read it again. The fact that you're in conflict by the standards of the word, it makes the situation holy. The fact that the word of God has created conflict in you, that makes the situation holy. When you espouse or when you give the authority to the word of God instead of your circumstance, you have just made or allowed or brought in, been brought into an understanding that what you're experiencing is holy. Wait a minute, PC. How in the world can somebody backstabbing me be a holy moment? Well... Let me explain. <laughs> Here we go. The second point is surrender. The first one was sin. The second one is surrender. Hang on, honey. We're going to make it. The problem with conflict is that there are always at least two sides. And it isn't until you surrender to one will you be able to experience the healing you need to move forward in a position of strength instead of defeat. As long as you argue, as long as you are contentious, as long as there is conflict, you cannot move forward. There must be a meeting of the mind. Oh, wait a minute. They all met at the gate, all on one accord. Oh, oh, in the upper room, they were all on one accord. The spirit failed because there must be a synergy, a sin, a, 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 a summarizing, a coming together into one that position you for strength. Remember this. Let me show you this. Number two, don't surrender to your emotions, but rather surrender to the purpose. You must surrender to the purpose, not to the emotions. Don't surrender to the emotions. Surrender to the purpose. Ah, you bring me on screen just for a second here. Let me explain this. I know I'm supposed to go to the next slide, but wait a second. Listen, I said this before, you have the word that creates the conflict. The conflict then brings up emotions, right? So this emotion then must have some sort of response. And so what you can't do is give in to the emotions. You must give in to the purpose or the holy scenario that has been created because of the conflict. All right, let's go back to the slide. Let me show you this. Look at the text. The text says in verse nine, we moved up, check the bold out in the same verse. The text says, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. So, I mean, it, it seems clear. It says, this day is holy. So, because this day is holy, don't mourn or don't weep. So, okay, 
Well, I just said that then if this moment, if this conflict created by the word makes it a holy moment, then you at that point have the opportunity to not mourn or weep. Oh my God. If the moment is holy, God has opened the door for you to reject mourning, sadness, frustration, anger, depression, all of it. You can choose joy because the moment is holy. Let me explain it to you. Let me go back to my screen. Don't surrender to your emotions. Surrender to the purpose. Let me lock this up for you. Here it is. Ezra told the people, Ezra said, look, look y'all. He said, don't stay here sulking. He said, don't, he, listen, he said, don't, don't sit around here uh, daydreaming about if I would have, should have, could have, whatever. He said, go eat, go, go drink. He said, remember today is holy. This is a holy day. And what I want to give you this is, it was a time of a, of a festival. It was the first day of the seventh month. It was laid out in Leviticus 23, 24. The first day of the seventh month, they were supposed to have a festival. So they were creating this moment to do what the Bible was, was teaching them. So watch this now, watch this now. Listen, in other words, the day, oh God, Leviticus 23, 23 and 24 said that on the first day of the seventh month, this would be a holy day. Watch this now. The New Testament now says that every day is holy. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So God creates each of our days for him. Watch this. God, the Bible didn't say in the beginning, God created problems on the first day, problems on the second day, problems on. In other words, he created the days for him, not the problems. So it is the day that is holy. It is not the problem that is holy. Come on, PC, teach. Our problem, watch this. God created the day, but our problems are part of the day. Don't make your problems the day. Oh, am I, are you hearing me? In other words, the day is holy. Don't let the problems take you out of your holy day. Ah, oh God, I feel this coming down. Come on, Ariana Grande, help me. Next, our problems are part of our day, but our day is never our problems. This is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad. Ain't nobody told you, this is the problem the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. Ain't nobody asked you to do that. He said, you've got to get an eye on the day. Take your eye off the problems. So Ezra instructs the people to go eat, go have fun, and to give some of what you have to others. In other words, get active, mobilize. He says, go eat. Stop laying in bed all day being depressed. Go do something. Say something. Do something. Don't hang around here sad and grieving. Why? The text said, for the day is holy. Well, what does holy mean? Holy means sacred. It means something has been set apart. Do you know why Monday isn't Tuesday and Tuesday isn't Wednesday and Wednesday isn't Thursday? Because each day has been set apart to be its own. So the day has been carved out for us. Each day, God gives us 24 hours that is sacred for 
for our experience. Listen, tomorrow is not today and today is not yesterday. So be in today for what today is. Don't live today trying to redo yesterday and don't live today trying to be what you anticipate tomorrow. Allow the holiness and the freshness, the sacredness and the set-apartness of this day to be this day. Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, I get it every day. Oh, God, I feel I feel juicy. The day has been carved out intentionally, meaning God has a purpose for today. God has a purpose for February 13, 2022. And he says, because I have purposefully created this day, what is he saying? Don't cry. He says, don't mourn and don't be sad. Instead, understand that somebody made this day for a purpose. That means that whatever enters your day is subject to what he already prepared. Come on. Don't let things in the day usurp your holiness or your purpose for that day. God set the day's meaning, not your circumstances. In other words, God created the day with purpose. He didn't create the day with problems. He created the day with purpose so that your purpose can override your problems. So that when I look at what God is doing in my purpose, I don't have to cry about my problems. Our response to a holy day is not to weep or mourn, but rather to be glad. When you see the holiness in today, remember the second word was surrender. When you see the day as holy, there is a submission or a surrender to it. Remember when God told Moses, he said, take off thy shoes, Moses. The ground you standing on is holy. And what happened at the bush? God told him about a purpose and a plan he wanted Moses to do. In other words, wherever there is bowing down, there is a plan that God has a purpose for. So wherever there is a holiness, wherever there is a, the Bible says holy and reverend is his name. So in other words, wherever something is holy, whenever the day is holy, there ought to be a surrender to it. In other words, people bow down to our God. Why? Because he is holy. Don't you know that the living creatures in Revelation cry holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Why? They cry out and they bow down because it is sacred. He sits on the throne with purpose. He sits on the throne with intention which means that whatever looks like is going on in the earth and it ain't good, they are saying we praise you anyhow because mourning and weeping is going to change. As the text says weeping may endure for the night but joy cometh in the morning. So we must remember Romans 8.28 that says, all things, in all things, God is at work for the good. In all things, God is at work for the good. Watch this now. This means that 
the all things being worked on are subservient to the good. So in other words, God works all the stuff we're dealing with out for our good. And it says he's working it out for the good to those who love him and are called what? According to his purpose. So you surrender to the purpose because if you surrender to the purpose, he's going to work out the bad to your good. If you live with purpose, if you live in the day with love, you will see it all work out for my good. It's going to work out for my good. It's going to work out for my good. All right, come on, PC. He does it in this order for those who love him. He does it in this order. In other words, he puts all your drum. He puts everything that came to steal your joy. He puts it under the banner of good. And he does it because you love him. The Bible says he does it for those who love him. Do you love him this morning? Love will cause you to be, watch this, emotional with who you have given authority to. When you are emotional, you don't mind giving your emotions to someone you love. And when you discover the brilliance of this strength, then you have found the path that leads to your strength of victory. You've got a word that creates this conflict and the conflict is not with the sin. It is with the word. That word then stirs up emotions. And when those emotions occur, you must submit and surrender not to the problem but to the purpose and when you get under the purpose uh, then you're on the pathway to the strength that leads to joy ah this sermon is entitled the strength of joy let me give you my last one sin surrender and strength here it is strength i've learned i've learned that when i'm weak I don't have a good workout <laughs> when I do work out. <laughs> if I'm weak, I don't function well. If I'm weak, I'm more prone to injury. And that is the strategy of the enemy to make you weak by stealing your joy. <laughs> he is trying to make you weak. He wants your weak to be weak. He wants your weak to be weak. And so what the enemy, what the enemy or circumstance tries to convince us to believe is that being angry and being frustrated and depressed, all these emotions will eventually somehow make it better. Do you think your throwing something at the wall is going to make it better? No. Do you think cussing somebody out is going to make it? They're, they're going to say, oh, you cussed me out. I finally see your point. I see your point. I'm going to change. No. All that does is make you feel better. And that is only temporarily. When you get back at people, you are only getting back at yourself because you are not allowing yourself to be in the place of strength. In other words, when you do something in the kindness and likeness of what has been done to you, you act 
actually cripple and weaken yourself more. I'm teaching. Our betterness will never be brought out by the thing that put us in the hole in the first place. It marvels me how people hate their job and they say it's killing them and stressing them. And they say, if I could just work 10 more hours. And I don't understand it. It's just dumb to believe that doing more of the same thing that put you in the rut in the first place is going to somehow get you out. That's just ignorant to me. When frustrated, what you need to do is think of the opposite. When depressed, think of its opposite. When you're lonely without a boo, think of the opposite. Liberation from the bad can always be found in its opposite. When you're having a particularly emotional day, here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember this. Listen, verse number 10 says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Look at verse 10. Let's read it from the top. Then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to them for whom nothing is prepared. That's what you got to do. You got to do some work. Send, do, go, instead of feeding you only, go do something for other people. That's what we've been talking about. Why? For this day is holy unto the Lord. Remember, we just finished that. We just finished that in point number two. But he says, neither be sorry. Why? Don't be sorry. Why? Don't be sorry. Why? Don't be sorry. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy is what's going to get you out. So remember this, write this down, take a picture of it. Your strength to overcome will always be found in places of joy, not places of sorrow. I want you to be like people on the hunt for places of joy. Look here. Oh, they're arguing over here. I ain't going over there. Oh, they're crying over here. I ain't going over there. I'm on the hunt for places of joy. Ah, God. Joy can be found in a place. Watch this now. Your strength to overcome will always be found in places of joy and not places of sorrow. So God is saying, Ezra was saying, don't mourn. Don't be crying. Why? Because your strength ain't coming from there. As long as you lay in the bed sad and depressed, your strength ain't coming. As long as you remain in that abusive relationship that keeps you unhappy, your strength is not coming. He was saying, instead of mourning, try joy. Because the secret is that the strength you need is there. The strength of joy. That is the topic of this sermon, the strength of joy. (laughs) The secret is that the strength you need is there. The strength you need is not in complaining. The strength you need is not in frustration. The strength you need is not in cussing and fussing. You will never find the strength you need to do what you need to do by being angrier. 
Ooh, if I just get madder. Ooh, if I just get him. If I just get back. Your strength will always be found in the place of gladness and wellness. That is why the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Why? Because in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of what? Joy. Joy has strength. When you're upset, when you're going through, honey, get to the place of joy. The term joy in Nehemiah 8 and 10, I like to use my seminary here, means gladness. And it is only used in two places in the Old Testament. The word for joy, kavod, is only used in two places. The Bible uses different words to emphasize different and specific things. And so in this case, I believe he was saying the joy of the gladness of the Lord is going to be your strength. In other words, your happiness, your ability to put a smile on your faith is your strength. Not will be your strength, not was your strength, but you already possess it. That if I can just be glad, I already have the strength. (laughs) Joy is a sign that you really believe you're in a better place than what your circumstances dictate. I know your bank account says $23.42 is all you got to your name, but joy says, and my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, I don't lie. I don't surrender. My strength is not in my bank account. My strength is not in my degrees. My strength is not in my material possessions. My strength is in the place of God. And when you are certain, things will at a certain point outwardly match the place you're in internally. That's when you start walking in joy. When you believe that your outward realm will someday match your internal realm, God will bring you joy and joy will be your strength. The Hebrew term suggests it's like being, watch this, it's like being surrounded by a fence with no options of escape. Watch this now. Get this picture. The Hebrew term for joy is like being surrounded by a fence with no options of escape. And then, watch this, a fence surrounds you and then a door appears. God says, that's joy. (laughs) When the door, you look like you're backed in. You're all surrounded by negativity and then a door appears. God says, that's joy. In other words, now you've got a reason to be glad. I want you to look at your day and I want you to see a door. The fence is all around you, but God just gave you a door. The hope and the thought of getting out of the surrounding dilemma ought to give you joy. And when you have joy, then you have enough strength to do what? To get out of the place you're fenced in. (laughs) Or, watch this, let me give you another caveat. Not only can it be a fence around with negativity, but the joy term also implies it can be viewed as being fenced in the ark of safety with God. 
in a secure space being surrounded by God himself. Having joy is the uncanny ability to see your situation either way. You can see it as being surrounded by a fence of people who are trying to destroy you and a gate opens and that's joy. Or you can see it as a fence surrounds you and you can't get out but you're still protected by the God of your salvation. (laughs) Hebrews, the three Hebrew boys in Daniel did it like this. They told him, bow down to our idol. And the three Hebrew boys said, nope, not gonna do it. (laughs) Said, we believe in God. And what did they say? They said, well, if he delivers us, cool. We we ain't bowing down. If he don't deliver us, cool. We ain't bowing. In other words, if he opens a door, great. If he don't open a door, great. Either way, we good. I want you to see joy as not giving the power of your livelihood to a circumstance that came to strip you of the reason you should have some type of gladness and contentment in your life. Joy is needed, y'all, for 2022 to overcome your trials. God told me to tell you, you're going to need joy for your next situation. And we must learn how to have joy while we're in our sorrows. We've got to have joy while we're in the trial because it is our joy that will give us strength to get out. James said it like this, count it all joy when you find yourself surrounded in trials, diverse trials and situations. He says, let patience have its perfect work. In other words, it's going to work out for your good. And we must learn to mourn while we're praising. We must learn to cry while we're singing. We must learn to hurt while we're dancing. And the only way to do that is to seek an opportunity possible to praise and worship God. And when you don't praise during service, what you're doing is prolonging your time in the dungeon. It is the joy of the Lord that gives you strength. And when you discover joy, you discover your strength. And let me wrap this up for you now. And I'll give you my final thoughts for the day. The reality is, is that sin and confusion immobilizes you. The job of sin and conflict comes to your life. If you keep living, you're going to experience conflict. You can be saved as I don't know what, but conflict is coming. And what I'm trying to teach you today is that there's strength Enjoy. You've got to find the joy within the situation. Joy comes after the midnight hour. You gotta learn how to sleep through some scary times. But you gotta get up and say, Good morning, Jesus. I'm here to serve. The things of life come to stop our action. The strategy of the enemy is to stop your action. And the devil is mad and he's been attacking me and my family because I'm preaching action. We're no longer talking about theory and vision and mission. We're talking about action. And the devil don't like it. And what we need most to recapture in 2022 
is God's joy. We need to stop walking around as Christians with prune faces, lemon sour depicted images, mad and ornery and mean with people, flipping off people on the freeway, cussing people out for no reason, snapping back at your kids and they ain't done nothing to you. You gotta get back to work. The reason you're struggling is because you're weak. You're weak, man. You're weak. You're struggling with the addiction because you're weak. Well, why am I weak? Because I've lost my joy. Even David said in Psalm 51, after he sinned with Bathsheba, he said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. If you keep sinning, you feel real bad. I came to tell somebody, stop feeling bad about what you did wrong. The past is the past. Walk in joy. Well, why do you have joy? Because Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sin. He stripped your sin from having authority over you. So stop letting it control you. You have power over your addiction. You have power over your sadness. You have power over your depression. You have power over your weight loss. You have power over your future. You have power over your career. But while you're losing that weight, you better sing praises to Jesus. While you're trying to get help, you better sing praises to Jesus. While you're trying to love that man, you better sing praises. In other words, whatever you're going through, you got to learn to have joy. Somebody said, give me my joy back to get back to my marriage, to get back to raising my children, to get back to giving a hundred percent to get back to loving others like I used to. Some of y'all have quit. Some of y'all have laid down and you're still in the bed. Some of y'all watching me from the bed this morning. Get up out the covers. Stand up on your feet because I told you we have the intellectual first but praise is coming. I need some people to be ready to praise him. Derive your joy from your position in God not from your problems in the day. Find something good about the place you're in with God and focus on that. The joy of Israel was supposed to be in the place. Do you get what I'm saying? The joy was supposed to be in the place. They were back home. They were where they should be. Don't let the devil steal your joy and you in your place. I'm right where I should be. Stuff is happening, but I'm right where I should be. And when you're in the right place, you're a candidate for joy. And when you find joy, you find strength. Somebody say, preach, preach, Because the second use of joy in the scripture is 1 Chronicles 16, 27. And it says, strength and gladness are in his place. Somebody say, I got to get to the place. Joy comes from being in the right place. And we can always have joy. Why? Because we're always in Christ. <laughs> as long as I'm in Christ, I'm in the right place. So make sure you're in the right place because joy can be an indicator of a person's agreement with God's place for them. You can tell the devil, no weapon formed against me shall be able to prosper. Why? Because God put me here. You can want me gone all you want to, but unless God moves me, I'm 
here to stay. Tell the devil I'm here to stay. You said what you said. You did what you did. You hurt my feelings for a moment, but I found my joy. You messed up devil and let me find my joy. Because now that I'm singing and now that I'm praising, I've got strength to fight you back. I've got strength to stand. As Ephesians 6 says, after you've done all to stand, stand therefore with your loins girt about with truth, with the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith. Put on the helmet of salvation and get your sword of the spirit and say, come on, devil, bring what you got because I'm armed and dangerous. I'm loaded with the strength of God. When sin raises its wearisome head, remember, surrender to God's purpose, not your emotions, because your strength to overcome will always be found in your places of joy. And that, my beloved, is the strength of joy. So my question is, how strong is joy? It's strong enough to help you leap to all problems. It's strong enough to help you burrow through the thickest of impossible walls. It's strong enough to eradicate your conflict and give you peace with God in an ever-decaying world of chaos. This, my friends, is the strength of joy. And I'm PC, and that's all I've got.